Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights. My name is DJ Chong and I am an investment strategist at Standard Chartered. On this episode of the podcast, we'll discuss whether financial markets are in bubble territory. Joining me today for this conversation, I'm glad to welcome Abhilash Narayan, Senior Investment Strategist, and Marco Iacchini, who is also from the Cross Asset team. Without further ado, let's kick off the podcast. For the benefit of our listeners, I just wanted to let everyone know that we have just published our latest weekly market view, where we asked ourselves whether financial markets are in bubble territory. So, first question for you, Abhilash. Can you talk to us about the team's views and whether recent market weakness is here to stay? Thank you, DJ. Well, over the past week, we have seen uh, a bubble warning from China's financial regulator, uh, and that has coincided with the renewed rise in bond yields and has generally hurt risk sentiment. Now, generally speaking, we can try to assess uh, whether we are in bubble or not by either looking at technical or fundamental factors. So if we start by looking at technical factors, uh, our proprietary bubble indicator indicates that only one out of six parameters there is suggesting extreme greed. So uh, not very strong signs of a bubble coming out from there. But now on the fundamental front, there are three factors that we are watching out for to help us determine whether you know the fundamentals justify the current market valuation. And those three factors are essentially uh, vaccine rollout, support from policymakers, and assessing how quickly economies will recover to pre-pandemic growth. So if we start with vaccination, the launch of Johnson & Johnson vaccine means that all American citizens could actually be vaccinated by May or June, which is much, much earlier than what we expected just a couple of weeks back, actually. And the pace of vaccination should accelerate elsewhere in the world as well. On the policy front, uh, you know, China's National People Congress is scheduled to start today. And while it will continue for two weeks, uh, we could see some reduction in stimulus in China coming out of, you know, uh, the, as, as a result of the NPC. However, uh, the $1.9 trillion stimulus in U.S. and the EU-wide fiscal stimulus should largely offset uh, the decline in stimulus in China uh, in, in our assessment. Additionally, if we look at corporate earnings, uh, quarter four 2020 earnings have generally been better than, than expectations. So if we bring all of this together, we think that fundamentals point toward a sustained uptrend in risk assets over the next 12 months. Thanks, Abhilash. We're just going to stick with the point you made in the last sentence, that fundamentals continue to point towards an uptrend for risk assets. Do you think the rotation from growth to value is gathering steam? Well, we believe that uh, the performance of value equities can continue in the near term, but in the 6 to 12-month horizon as well. And that is driven by the rise in bond yields and vaccine rollout. Now, if we dive into the sector composition of what value style equities mean, uh, there are two key sectors, financials and energy. So if you look at financials, uh, both in U.S. and Europe, they've had really good Q4 results and earnings have surprised uh, positively by 27% in U.S. and 36% in Europe. Now, U.S. financials have restarted share buybacks and European banks have reinstated dividends. And both of these things do support stock prices. Apart from that, if you look at earnings, uh, the cyclical recovery and higher bond yields should support earnings. Uh, and hence, we view uh, U.S. 
and European financial sectors as preferred within the overall equity market. If you look at equities, uh, energy sector has also benefited from higher oil prices. And if you look at uh, the, the policies of companies, stock prices could benefit from companies starting restarting dividends and share buybacks. That being said, uh, in the longer term, the sector does clear, uh, face clear challenges from the pivot toward green energy. Uh, and hence, we view energy sector as, as a core holding. Thank you, Abhilash. Over to you, Marco. Let's shift to fixed income markets now. With developed market higher corporate bond spreads still at recent lows, do we continue to prefer this segment or should, we, should, in, or should investors look at Asia higher corporate bonds instead? Hi, DJ. Um, yes, thanks for the question. To start, uh, I would say that both developed market and Asia high yield bonds are preferred areas for us. Now, our view is that uh, with global growth improving, helped by vaccine rollouts and easy monetary policies, these areas of the bond market continue to provide attractive yield on offer, and we expect that credit fundamentals should improve, also helped by lower default rates. Um, however, these markets do differ in um, two perhaps contrasting ways. For once, if you look at valuations, Asia high-yield bonds offer nearly 275 basis point pickup in yield premium over U.S. high-yield bonds. So that's close to the highest differential in the last five years, which definitely argues in favor of uh, Asia high-yield bonds. However, developed market bonds, but specifically U.S. high-yield bonds, arguably have more supportive sector, ex- sector exposure, uh, given that they have a large weight to oil producers who as of recent times, are definitely benefiting from higher oil prices. Now, while on the other hand, Asia high yield bonds have significant exposure to the Chinese property sector, which, despite strong revenues, is still facing uh, tighter policy and greater regulatory scrutiny. So in conclusion, what I would say is that while we, uh, while Asia high yield bonds clearly offer an attractive pickup over U.S. high yield bonds, they are exposed to slightly greater uncertainty and that leads us to a view, a balance view and balance allocation between the two of them. So that means that we would own both areas, and that could offer some diversification and benefit and be beneficial to them. Thanks, Marco. Let's move on to commodities. So we know gold has lost some of its shine so far in 2021. Why is the precious metal struggling despite inflation expectations moving higher? Yeah, that's a great question as well. So. Gold has broken below a key support level at 1765 over the past week. And that's off the back of the recent surge in U.S. Treasury yields and the U.S. dollar resilience. Now, we looked at gold's relationship with inflation and inflation expectations, and we see that it's actually not that a straightforward relationship. In fact, the, the view on gold being a good inflation hedge has very likely been formed as a result of what happened in the 1970s, which was a period of high and rising inflation where gold prices soared. But the most consistent relationship in reality remains with real bond yields, and no pun intended there. (laughs) That is yields net of inflation. On the other hand, if we look at inflation expectations, they have rebounded over the past few months, but they've not been able to offset the move higher in nominal U.S. Treasury yields. That meant that the gap between yields and inflation expectations widened, therefore real yields rose, which is a negative for gold prices. Now, uh, the the U.S. dollar, which is another key driver, as it tends to have an inverse relationship with the price of gold, has also held up in recent weeks. Therefore, in a way, slightly leaning against any potential bullish gold price move in the short term. So moving on to our views, if we look forward, inflation will likely creep higher as the global economy continues to recover. 
but nominal bond yields are more likely than not to be capped by the Fed. This means that there is more than a fair chance that real yields will not rise significantly from here. And at the same time, the U.S. dollar should gradually resume its downward cyclical trend. Now, while gold will continue to play an important role as a portfolio diversifier, in our opinion, um, and here we retain a somewhat bullish bias towards it over the next 12 months, we believe that the outperformance within a portfolio context is unlikely at this point. But for those investors focused on the short term, a key support zone to watch out for for us lies around the 1660 and 1690 price level. Thanks again, Abhilash and Marco, for joining our conversation today. That's all for this episode of Standard Chartered Money Insights. If you would like to learn more or read our publications, please visit our website at stand.st.com under Market Insights. As a reminder, if you've enjoyed our discussion, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. For clients of Standard Chartered, you can check out the Standard Chartered private banking app or reach out to your relationship manager if you would like a copy of our publication. Thanks for joining us and we will catch you next time on Standard Chartered Money Insights. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.